Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to the show. This is episode 16 of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. For those of you who listened to the show a couple days ago, episode 15, where we had my friend Neen James. Wow, is she not a powerhouse or not? If you didn't get a chance to listen to Neen, you really want to go back and listen to episode 15. We've had a lot of fun the last few weeks, and it's still a journey. We're still trying to sort of find our audience. I'm trying to find my voice as an interviewer. You know, it's really interesting. Someone who has spent the last five and a half years as a professional speaker, a master of ceremonies and a trainer, I'm on stage all the time, but I'm talking to an audience or a class. This has been very different to sit in my room and have people coming through Skype, but uh, we're having a lot of fun. I'm meeting a lot of people. It is a great networking tool because I'm getting to connect with people who I would never have connected with probably in a million years. Maybe like our guest today, Trevor Muir. Trevor is a teacher and I saw Trevor speak at the TEDx San Antonio event. And I spent the day there with my high school senior daughter. She's uh, on the planning committee for the TEDx Austin Youth event. And so she wanted to go to the San Antonio TEDx and listen to the speakers, get some good ideas, just find some real good inspiration. And Trevor was one of the top three speakers that my daughter and I saw. We both listed who we thought was fantastic. And Trevor was at the top of both of our lists. And I told him afterwards that he wasn't just a teacher, He's a teacherpreneur, and that's I wanted to have him on this show because we talk about cool things entrepreneurs do, but one of the things is you don't have to be like starting a startup or running a business to be entrepreneurial. It can happen in any industry, and I think that's what, what Trevor has with his, uh, his the way he teaches and the reform he's pushing for in public education. So Trevor is a teacher at Kent Innovation High School, which is in the Kent ISD in Michigan. So Trevor, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. So, you know, you started off after college working in the business world for a few years, but then you jumped over to explore your true passion, which is teaching and working for educational reform. And you have landed at this school that is absolutely amazing. I've done some research on, on Kent Innovation High, and this school is really doing project-based learning, but not like projects that the kids throw in the trash after they've gotten a grade on it, but these are things that are impacting your community. So why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Kent Innovation High. Yeah, so I actually, I grew up going to a traditional school, so I'm, I'm like many other people in America who uh, sat in rows and had textbooks and listened to lectures all day, every day, um, and that didn't really click for me, and I was not very successful at school, um, but I found out that I was pretty good in the business world for a while, and I was working in business development and helping uh, find business for a liquidation company, and that was going good, and I was making some money, and um, but I just wasn't very passionate about what I was doing. Doing, um, and I really I kept going back to the experience I had in high school and how uninspired I was there, but how inspired I was about other things in my life. And I, I kind of started to ask the question: How come? How come school didn't capture these inspirations that I had? How come it didn't capture the passions that I had? And so that led me going back to getting a teaching degree, um, leaving the business world behind in a way, 
and becoming a teacher. And I was fortunate enough to find a school that's an environment that lets me do things um, the way I think they should be done in education. Well, it's really interesting because as I was preparing for this interview and reading a little bit about Kent Innovation High, and both of my daughters go to magnet schools in the Austin Independent Mm. School District. So they're not traditional middle schools and high schools that they attend. They're they're sort of uh, set up for like math and science. And then one is an all girls kind of public partner public part I can't even say it public private partnership and so they're a little different than the traditional school but but they're not quite as out there as what you guys are doing but I started thinking about my own junior high and high school experience and I remember a teacher I had in eighth grade I wanted to be a writer and I thought I would love at the time I wanted to write fiction now you know fast forward to you know I'm almost 50 years old I've written 10 books and they're all business oriented on on networking and business development and presentation skills entrepreneurship but I wanted to write fiction. I wanted to write stories. Sure. And I was in the advanced English group because I had been in sort of what they called mentally gifted minors or MGM. It later became gate. I don't know what they call it now, but I was in this advanced class, but I struggled with sort of the traditional way of learning, sitting in rows and and memorizing with grammar and spelling. And my eighth grade teacher told me I should really come up with a different plan because Hmm. I was not good enough in English good enough to be a writer and I didn't write again till I was in my 30s I I gave up that dream and while I still don't write fiction what this teacher didn't realize is that the real world has these things called editors and that spell check would be invented so I think many of us kind of grew up in that situation where it was like not only were we stuck in these traditional ways where maybe we could have excelled in in a different path but then we had people who were stifling us and trying to push us away from our dreams well and and that's the whole thing is school School traditionally has kids write just to make the teacher happy or just for the sake of writing. And often essays and fiction or whatever they write, poems, they get thrown in the trash after a grade gets slapped on them. And that's not how the real world actually operates. Um, so what we do in our school, we have kids write for a purpose. Uh, whether it's kids are writing poetry that they're going to take to a children's hospital or they're writing a marketing plan um, with the objective of actually marketing whatever we're creating in class. For instance, there's a girl at my school named Kate who really got excited about this idea of marketing and getting people interested in what she was doing. And uh, we, I gave her a little workshop. I did some research to figure out how do you write a press release. And then I worked with Kate and she learned how to write a press release and then wrote a really big one and sent it out to all of the news agencies in the whole region and actually the whole state. She sent it out and, and she was able to get um, news teams to come to our school and work with us. And it gave purpose to what she was actually writing. And, you know, Kate realized you know what, my grammar better be pretty good if it's going to be put on the news. And, you know, my spelling better be pretty good if I want them to actually come and listen to what we have to say. And so that motivated all these other academic things that usually don't have any reason or purpose behind them. And it it gave meaning to what Kate was working on. And that's kind of what we do with everything we do in our classroom. It's realistic. It's got purpose. I also think you said when we had met in San Antonio that the different uh, subject areas will work together on a single project. Is that right? So like math and, and English and history, they sort of coordinate what the kids are working on. That's exactly it. I actually, I teach a social studies and English class at the exact same time. So while we're studying a certain period in history, we're writing about it and we're reading about it. Or maybe I'll be working on a project that involves some biology. And so I'll take my kids over to the biology room and they'll do a lesson on that and they'll figure out how it all intertwines. 
again, a lot like the real world. If you're a marketer, you're probably not just working with marketing people. You're probably meeting with the business people or you're probably meeting with the accountants to figure out budgets and all that. And so it's trying to get kids ready for the real world now rather than when they get there, if that makes sense. Well, it makes total sense. And in interviewing entrepreneurs and running my own business and working mm-hmm. for myself for the last five and a half years, every piece of my life is intertwined, be it raising my children, sure. to doing marketing, to running the finances of my business, to coordinating my travel. Every piece of everything that I do and that most entrepreneurs do in, in all aspects of their lives are intertwined. And yet you're right, in the traditional schools, we sort of break them off into compartments. Yeah, doesn't that seem like an issue? I mean, what other aspects of the real world does everybody who's working together are the exact same age or they're within a year of the same age as each other? Or, or what or what or just the single subject area that's it's just not realistic to me and I know that's how we've been doing school for the last hundred years but I just don't see why we keep doing that um, because it doesn't really get kids ready to be citizens and to be entrepreneurs and do big things so there are I mean I don't know how, how many tens of thousands of educators out there what caused you and the educators that you work with at Kent Innovation High what caused you to be able to kind of Forge your own path. I mean, there's got to be a lot going on with you and your coworkers that's way different than anything you were ever prepared for or ever dreamed of. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's we identified the problem. We've got a lot of kids in our country who are either checking out of school or they'll go through school because it's a game or it's an obligation that they have to just jump through. Um, and we identified that problem. We figured out how how can we address that problem? What's the solution to it? Um, and you know, something we've kind of come up with is, you know, let's make school authentic. Let's make it real. Um, but we still have the framework that every other teacher has to has to deal with. You know, we still have standardized testing kids have to take. Parents still care about grades. So it's trying to figure out, you know, what's this balance? How, how real can we make it while still getting kids ready for those things that school expects? Um, and at least that's how it is now. My ultimate goal would that we'd put a lot less emphasis on these traditional frameworks that we have in school and make it more about these skills that kids have and being able to collaborate and critically think and um, create. That's that's what I really want school to be about. But for now, um, teachers at our school, we still fit within this framework. Now, I read that your school has been named a national demonstration site for public yes. schools. What, what does that mean? That means teachers from all over the country come and visit our school while kids are working and they'll stand and they'll just come into the classroom and meet with kids or they'll stand. We have all glass walls. They'll stand and just look and watch and uh, they'll take ideas that we're doing and hopefully bring them back to their traditional schools where they implement them. Um, I'm pretty blessed to be in a school that really embraces this idea of project-based learning, but I'm very aware that there's a lot of schools that do not do this. They're still in that industrial mindset where kids are in rows listening to bells. Um, So the hope with being a national demonstration site is that teachers will be able to take little bits and pieces of what we're doing and bring it back to their school um, and hopefully implement it there. Again, leading towards that goal of making all school look like this at some point. The high school that my daughter goes to would be more traditional in the way it is set up, although like all freshmen at her school have to take a year now that they're on block schedule. So the when I say a year, they do it in a semester because the class is every day instead of every other day. But a year of mechanical engineering hmm. and a year 
of magazine design. And, and sort of the idea is it's that left brain, right brain, and they work in teams. So it's magazine design. They have a, a team of five people or six people who put together an entire magazine that eventually gets printed and put out. So they all get a, a copy mm. of it. And so they're, they're working together. They're collaborating. They're using technology. And, you know, that's just certain classes it's not everything that they do but that's sort of the way your school's operating right yes in every class and and it, and it makes sense to me it, kids are creating and doing things with their hands and the fact is if they're doing something authentic and it's really got a purpose they know it's not just going to go in a trash can they're going to work a lot harder for you and when they're working a lot harder they're getting better grades why don't you um, they're, they're, why don't you tell the story here on the podcast uh, of that you told during your TEDx talk about the I think it was a World War II project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we took our students to a retirement home where they interviewed one hundred. Or I'm sorry, we took a hundred students to a retirement home where they interviewed twenty five actual World War II veterans, and our students took their phones with them and their cameras and they interviewed and filmed their experiences with these veterans, and then they used some free online editing programs that they created many documentaries that they burned into DVDs and gave those to the veterans and their families to where they have their stories forever. And something I didn't mention in the TEDx talk, they also sent these stories, these documentaries they created to the Library of Congress to preserve these stories forever. Wow. Um, Yeah. And so the students are learning World War II, not from me, not from a textbook, not from Google necessarily. They're, They're learning them from people who are actually in the war, people who are actually there, primary sources. Um, and then we had this big red carpet event in downtown Grand Rapids where the students came and showed their documentaries to 400 community members and the veterans came and sat in the front row. And the motivation to get their projects done was not because that's just the deadline I put for their grades. It was because they had to be ready for this huge event that had some really high stakes behind it. Um, so you better believe kids wanted to meet their deadline and you better believe that uh, when they put subtitles on their documentaries that they use perfect English because they were going to have four people see what they wrote and it just adds a whole new element to what school is for these kids it's it's important and they were passionate about it and one of the veterans who they interviewed died the day before this red carpet event Um, and these kids realize that what they do what they're doing is important it's it's serving a purpose you know what I mean well totally and 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 I relate to this I almost have tears in my eyes as you tell the story my father was a World War II veteran. He was in the hmm. Army Air Corps, which was before there was an Air Force. It was part of the Army, and he was part of the Army Air Corps, and he was wow. stationed in England throughout World War II. Now, I'm, I'm 48 years old. My, my dad was 52 years old when I was born. So actually, just a couple of days before we're recording this episode would have been my father's 100th birthday. Wow. And hmm. he, he lived until last December at age 99. So he was born in hmm. 1913, 1914, and he died in 2013. So born 1914, died 2013. And, and the century that he lived in, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through my life, I guess, and, and I can relate to that because he was my dad and, and I, I grew up with that. But most of my peers, my dad was older than some of my friend's grandparents growing hmm. up. And sure. so my friends couldn't relate one generation away from World War II. And certainly these kids who are 15, 16, 17, what you provided them was something that they can never do again because these people are dying. They're going to be gone. Absolutely. And the whole point is, is it wasn't that hard to do. You know, the truth is there's still a lot of World War II vets and not for very long, but right now there's still World War II vets around that kids from all over the country can go and interview. 
and there's still Vietnam vets and there's Korean War vets and it's not that hard to do this. Um, but but what as a, a teacher, we traditionally don't think to do these kinds of projects. But what a this great is, chance for the kids oh. to actually realize, because not only about World War II, but just also about you know the aging process, the fact that one of these people passed away the night yes. before their, their thing, that's something they'll remember for the rest of their life. And as they relate to people of different generations, what you provided them wasn't just a lesson about the war. What you provided them was a lesson about the human experience. Yes, absolutely. It was beautiful. I mean, it was a very beautiful experience. So, so you know, I think what you're doing is an example for people in any industry. This isn't just about education. I know you're yes. very passionate about reforming education, but this isn't just about education. This is for anybody. So if there's someone out there who works in, you know, sort of an old school industry and they think, God, I have this burning desire to, mm -hmm. to you know, break down the walls. What advice do you have for someone like that? My advice is to go and do it. You know, if we if you can identify how something can get better, if we if we know for a fact that if we do things differently, it will get better, then why wouldn't we go and do it? And that's my that's my motivation as why I'm a teacher is I know that I can I can help students improve their lives. I know I can improve the education system. I know I can help them improve their grades by doing things a little differently. And so why wouldn't I go and do that? And so whether it's the business world, um, whatever profession, if you know that you can do something to make it better than what what reason would you have to not do it? And I think that also applies to politics, but we don't got to get into that one either. So. You know, it's funny that you bring that up and I don't want to jump into politics either, but you bring it up and I was thinking, gosh, I hope that some elected officials are listening to this podcast because they can do it in government, what you're doing yes. in education. Absolutely. It's just action. You know, I mean, you can talk about these things and these are great in theory, but when you actually go and take those kids to a retirement home or you go and actually make these community contacts, that's when the real change starts to happen. And you can see this momentum growing um, just by the stuff we're doing. And that's just because we actually did it because I made a cold call or I made I, I, I got in contact with a retirement home and said, hey, is there anybody who my students could come and interview? Um, it's just action. So that would be my advice. So I know that you're passionate about education reform. What are you doing in that area? Um, I'm working with the state of Michigan for a little uh, focus group um, for personalized learning. And the idea is, is how can we get this idea of project-based learning or personalized learning where um, we're finding new ways to interact with every single kid. Everybody thinks differently, and so we need to teach them accordingly. Um, we're a group that's trying to figure out how can we get that implemented into every school in the state of Michigan. Um, and right now, Michigan is uh, ranks pretty high on the list of um, states for education. So the idea would be if we can get schools in the state of Michigan to think this way and do things this way, hopefully other states would follow suit. So I have spoken at a couple of teachers in service groups for like elementary schools where, you know, they before the school year starts, they bring in a speaker to kind of motivate and get everybody on teamwork mm -hmm. stuff. And I've done that a few times. And in preparing for that, because I usually speak in either the association or the business world and, and speaking to teachers was new to me. I reached out to very almost everybody I knew who's ever taught school and asked a bunch of questions about being a teacher and the passion that's behind it, and why you got into the business. And one of the things that sort of came out was sort of the politics like inside a school between sort of the old school mm -hmm. and maybe the younger people who want to try some new, maybe more technology-based learning. Well, what do you find with what your school is doing? Do you find pushback from some of the more traditional educators? Yeah, of course. Yep. There's definitely plenty of pushback, but here's what I'm finding because I've actually been speaking at um, 
a, a number of different events, whether it's in the education world or something more like TEDx. And you're and very, and you're, I'm going to jump in. You're very good at it too. As a, oh, as a professional speaker who, who really pays attention to not just the content, but actually the style, Trevor, you're really good at it. Well, I appreciate it. And I think you would know it's just a lot of hard work too. Um, but you know, I, 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 the more I've been speaking at places that I'm, I'm finding out that most people, there's something about this message that resonates with people. There's something about what I've been talking about that just seems to resonate, whether it's business people or educators. Um, and I just gave a talk last Friday in front of a group of about a hundred teachers. And a lot of them were older teachers and most of them were in traditional schools. And every one of them came up to me afterwards to talk about, hey, how can I get this done in my classroom? Or, oh, I really like that. Can you tell me more about that? And, you know, I got all these contacts of people that want to work with me now. and. Um, figure out how they can design product projects for their classes. And I'm just, I'm just realizing that this message is resonating with people, probably not everyone, but I think if there's a story worth being told, people want to listen to it. Well, you clearly, I mean, it comes through in your voice. You clearly have so much passion for what you're doing. And I know from having heard you speak and from talking to you that you've impacted the lives of some of these students. So what are some of the things that these students, what do you think, what are your hopes and dreams of where your students will go on and change the world? Yeah, I, I want them... To, I want them to think differently. You know, I always challenge my students to critically think and uh, see both sides of an issue. I want kids that work in foreign policy. We do a lot of work where we're looking at, you know, this is how society or the media presents something. What's the other side of that coin? And so we ask a lot of those questions and we deal with it a lot in our projects that we do. And I want them to go and actually act on those things, whether it's them becoming politicians or, you know, becoming business people that um, work with schools. That's something I've been talking and thinking a lot about lately is how can we get businesses bought into this idea of making school meaningful? Um, how can we get CEOs to go and work with an elementary class? Or how can we get salespeople to go and talk with an English class about, you know, using proper diction? I don't know. Um, I, I want my students to at least, you know, I'm not expecting them all to be teachers. I want them to go whatever they're doing to kind of pour back into this. So is there like a, a waiting list 400 miles long in, in the Kent Independent School District to get into you know, Kent Innovation High? You know, we're on our fourth year. In our first year, we had to like fight to get kids to come here because we didn't have any kind of promo materials or anything really to pitch the school other than the idea of it. And the second year was a little bit more. And then by the third year, yes, we've got a pretty big wait list now. I mean, but I will say that our school is all first come, first serve. We are not selective at all. We've got kids from every single school district in our county which has 21 different school districts. Um, so we've got kids from the poorest parts of Grand Rapids and the most affluent parts of Grand Rapids, and they're all working together. And uh, we're seeing some really crazy results. I mean, as a parent, so my, my oldest daughter wanted to go. There was a middle school that was a math and science magnet school in our school district. And, and when she was in fifth grade, she wanted to attend this middle school, but it was kind of far from our house. And it just seemed like a lot of work. The bus came really, really early, like 625 in the morning. And so we didn't let her do it because it just didn't, we didn't know enough about sort of alternative magnet mm. schools and, and options like this. When it came time for high school, she really pushed hard to go to Lhasa, the school she goes to. And for her, it has been, it's not the right choice for every kid, but for her, this magnet school has been the right choice because it has pushed her to excel to really high levels. She's now applying to college and she has lot, lots of options. It'll be very interesting to see where she ends up. Mm. However, um, I do know that a lot of parents tell me they're like, oh, isn't that far away or, or didn't the bus come early? 
early and and we didn't do it for junior high or middle school but for high school we we kind of let her she was old enough to sort of self-regulate and i think that as a parent who's seen a kid go through this if i lived in your neighborhood i would be like not just pushing my kid but everybody into what you're doing because you guys are doing something amazing do you find that that parents are are really supportive of this they are. Yep. You know, the community's really gotten behind this um, and parents are part of it. And, you know, kids that can't get in um, just because of the capacity issues, we say to those parents, hey, go back to your home school or whatever school that your, your student would be going to otherwise and just plead with them. Say, hey, we want more realistic learning at our school. We want we want more authentic education in my son's classroom. What what can you do to make that happen? Because, um, again, you know, we, we only have 400 kids at our school, which is great. But there's a lot more kids out there. And so it goes back to that lab school idea. Let's let's do something really great that 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 overflows into the community and hopefully beyond that. So in the other high schools in your area, do you think that you're starting to see a trickle in? Is there is there yes. is that happening? Yep, we've seen uh, three or four different project-based learning programs launch at schools in the last two years, which is just makes me really excited. Um, but also just hearing, you know, teachers will email me and say, hey, I just wanted to tell you I'm working on this project in my class. Thanks for the idea. Or, hey, this is something I'm doing now instead of what I was doing before. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think it's starting to um, trickle into the the community, which is just exactly what I want. Well, and you, I mean, it's just exciting to, to hear about this. I mean, yeah. as, like I said, as a, as a parent, you know, I think, God, I wish this was everywhere. Well, and here's the thing, and this is kind of my main point, is that I don't really have a formula to offer, and I don't think our school's necessarily like a formulaic solution to school. It's more that we're just willing to think differently. You know, we're willing to just push the boundaries and redefine what school is supposed to be. Instead of just this, this, this obligation that kids have to go through until they're 18. Instead, it's, it's, tra- it's training ground for their careers. That's what I think it should be. I think we should be training them to be citizens in our society. Um, I'm part of my school, this is kind of surprising, but my school district, they will pay for me to go back and get my master's degree, but only if it's an education program. <laughs> and so I want, I want to go and get my MBA masters of business, but they say, no, they will only pay for it if it's for education. And my, I'm, I'm from the perspective where it's like, well, can you imagine having a master's of business teaching a high school class, the value that could have? Well, especially because right? as I think about, you know, the, the, again, the name of my show is Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Sure. You are as much of an entrepreneur as, you know, any one of my previous, you know, 15 shows. And some of those people have taken companies public. Some, you know, have hundreds hmm. of employees. Some are solopreneurs who are, you know, making their own way in the world. But you are no different in your passion and in the things you're doing than anybody who we would, you know, classically term an entrepreneur. And I'm thinking this is just where I mean, if you're going, if you're in school right now and you're going for your education degree, you should go take an entrepreneur class in the school hmm. of business because what you're doing, pushing the envelope and what your coworkers are doing really is entrepreneurship. And in our society right now, we celebrate the entrepreneur. Hmm. We should be celebrating the teacher. But what if we could merge those two? Exactly. Perfect. So, well said. <laughs> so we could talk about you forever, and I, I bet that what's going to happen is I'm going to get, you know, tweets and emails saying, have Trevor back on again, because, you know, we do about a half-hour show. I'm not a real stickler for it, but, I mean, I could I could have you talk about what you're doing in education for a whole other show. However, if we just talk about Trevor and Kent Innovation High, that's great. 
but it's really easy sometimes to get caught up in our own stuff. What's something that you see someone else doing? Not not one of your coworkers, not you, not at Kent, but something that you see someone else doing where you say, wow, they're killing it. It could be an education or it could be an entrepreneur, but someone you say, hey, that's great. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've got some teachers in mind who are also doing the same thing. And actually, you know, that maybe I should make that point. There are teachers who are doing the same thing all over the country, and that makes me really excited. And uh, they just don't seem to get the press um, that, that I think teachers deserve. Like, there's a guy in uh, Arizona named John Spencer who owns the, or he runs the website, educationrethink.com. And it's all about d- rethinking what education is. I, I work with another teacher um, in this county who, he's getting a lot of flack from the media because he asks some really tough questions and puts it up on Twitter and just lets everybody fire away at it. Um, so there, there's some really big thinkers in education right now that are trying to get things changed. Um, outside of the education world, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Bell. No. He, he was a he, he was a pastor at Marshall um, Bible Church here in Grand Rapids. And he just really he's he kind of does what we do with education with the world of religion. And he's really kind of rethinking how that looks and what that looks like to people and what that looks like to this developing, growing society. And so he's written some really interesting books that really push boundaries um, that just ask a lot of great questions. And that's what I really love more than anything is just asking good questions and kind of just trying to figure out better ways of doing things. So he'd be a good example. Well, and my mind is spinning because I've run across several pastors in in lots of different religions and rabbis and stuff who are doing the exact same thing in religion, Mm -hmm. priests and rabbis and ministers who are pushing those, those envelopes. And all of a sudden, and I'm like, ooh, I got to get one of those people on the show because you're yes. absolutely right. It is it is entrepreneurial to push those those boundaries no matter what industry you're in. So, Trevor, I know that, I mean, if you think about what you're doing on a daily basis, serving the next generation and, and these, these kids in Michigan, but one of the questions I love to ask is, how do you give back? But it almost sounds like you're always giving back because just what you do for your job. But, but what else do you do to sort of impact society? Well, you know, my, my number one priority is the 115 kids who are in my class every day. And that's where the most of my energy has gone the last few years that I've been teaching. Um, but I have just started speaking other places um, because I think it's one thing to model what I'm doing, but also just to go spread that message. Um, so in the last year, I've been um, speaking in a number of places, whether it's to teachers um, or people like the TEDx crowd uh, or administrators or even legislators as of late, um, just trying to get that message out to other people um, just in my the way that I speak. And, you know, I, I speak in a spoken word format often, as you probably saw in my TED talk. Um, so I just kind of speak in that format um, to people and hopefully to get that message out. So that's where a lot of my energies have gone lately. Well, so two things that come to mind. First of all, you know, I don't know how long it will take the TEDx San Antonio people to get your video up online, but this this episode won't air for about three more weeks. It's been a week or two since you did TEDx. So pretty much any time if anyone listens to this in, you know, 2015, because, <laughs> you know, they can search Trevor Muir and TEDx San Antonio, and you're going to find an 18 minute talk that's going to glue you to your computer or your iPhone or however you're watching it. <laughs> so I'm going to encourage everybody to, to start trying to search for your TED Talk. I don't know when it'll be up, but whenever it's up, it's going to be a treat. It's the type of talk that should get elevated to TED.com because it really <laughs> is meaningful. It, it was an idea worth sharing. But the, the second piece of that is, you know, if you're speaking that much, uh, I'm going to get on you to, to check out the National Speakers Association because I've been a really active member for seven years. And even if it's 
not the foremost part of your career, there are things that you could learn and do from hanging out with people who are, you know, looking at the speaking business as an industry that would probably help you with that side of your life. Mm. So that just, sounds great. I'll plant that little seed in the back of your head and someday we'll get you to an NSA event. Sounds great. Hey, Trevor, if people want to know more about you, because maybe they want to bring you in to speak, if they want to know more about uh, Kent Innovation High School, where do they go? How do they find the information? Well, you can send me an email at trevorlmuir at gmail.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at, uh, at Trevor Muir, T-R-E-V-O-R-M-U-I-R. And then... Uh, also, you can check out my website, which is trevormuir.com. And that's where I do a lot of writing and document the kind of things that I'm seeing in my classroom. So, Trevor, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And, Absolutely. And, and I want to thank you, really, for being part of Episode 16. I'm sitting here so excited because of your passion. I think everyone who listens to the show is going to want to know more. So thank you for being here. Uh, and I also want to thank everybody who participates by listening in the show. You know, if you've enjoyed the show, jump on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review and then tell a friend because a new show like this, we have to have an audience and it really matters when you tell others about this show and you download the show and you leave reviews about the show. It just helps cool things entrepreneurs do grow larger. So everybody go on out there today and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.